deep left into the bleachers. A two-run homer. A swing and a miss. Ball game. Liftoff. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. This is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on the Cleveland Indians. Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Now, Ryan Lewis and Dan Kadar. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, our podcast on the Cleveland Indians. This is Ohio.com digital content editor, Dan Kadar. And, of course, I'm joined by our Indians beat reporter, Ryan Lewis. Ryan, how's it going today? It's going fantastic. How's it going for you? Very good. You know, uh, doing these podcasts with you, I have to come up with a better intro, I think, because having the name being Leading Off with Ryan Lewis and then saying I'm joined by Ryan Lewis is like... The redundancy is, is unreal. Uh, so maybe well, the people know. Yeah, the people know who's here. We are we are branding you uh, in a in a hardcore way. Um, oh Lord, that's right. But anyway, we we are here, of course, to talk about the Cleveland Indians, who are coming off a four game win streak and a sweep of the Toronto Blue Jays at home and a progressive field. We're going to talk mostly today about just how good these starting pitchers have been for the Indians, particularly Mike Clevenger and Trevor Bauer. And we're going to get into some other stuff, some offensive talk, of course. We might touch on Terry Francona's contract extension because that happened after we finished recording last week. So we'll get some of Ryan's thoughts on that. But Ryan, let let us talk about these incredible starting pitchers, this four-game series against the Blue Jays. You know, they, they gave up one run, two run, two run, one run. Uh, that That is a pretty great string there. And it's, to me, it's really Clevenger, Mike Clevenger and Trevor Bauer leading the way, for me at least. How good have these two been in the first nine games of the season? Well, they've delivered on everything. Uh, you know, that if you're looking before the season and trying to predict what guys might be able to do in potential versus expectation, all that, they've... They certainly delivered, uh, you know, near their ceiling so far. And it it is fair to point out that this Blue Jays lineup isn't exactly a murderer's row, twenty-seven Yankees like lineup. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know, Bauer and Clever especially have really come out of the gate pretty strong. And this Indians rotation is it's going to be what this team has to ride throughout this season. Um, but so far, they've you know they've been able to handle a a slower lineup than what they've been used to over the last couple of years uh, without Francisco Lindor, without Jason Kipnis. Um, other guys have uh, got off to a slower start. Carlos Santana has been white hot to start the season. Um, Andy Ramirez has been about as advertised, but you know, for several guys, it's, it's, been, it's been a slower start, but this rotation has been able to carry them so far. Um, and, you know, Bauer came into this season with a, a new changeup. Clevenger's velocity has ticked up about uh, actually about a full mile per hour on his average fastball. Um, yesterday, you know, he entered I, th- I think having thrown like four or five 97 mile per hour fastballs in his career. He threw like eight yesterday. Wow. Uh, he threw one that was clocked at 97.6, which is the fastest pitch he's ever thrown in a game. That that's been clocked. 
Um, you know, so those two guys, everything is, is kind of still pointing up, even compared to, to what they did last year. Clevenger had a bit of a breakout year, um, and he seems poised to duplicate that, if not potentially top it. Trevor Bauer was in the thick of the Cy Young race, possibly leading it when he was hit by that comebacker and um, you know, likely would have finished first or second in the Cy Young race. And then we still haven't talked about Corey Kluber. We still haven't talked about Carlos Carrasco. And you know, Shane Bieber, uh, compared to everything that you can look at, um, you know, stood a, a reasonable chance to be one of those breakout candidates just based on the skills that he showed compared to uh, some of the analytical measurements and then compared that to some of his traditional stat lines. And you can kind of go through those things and find discrepancies. When there, when there are severe differences in them, you can kind of find guys who can either um, stand to go up or go down. In, in Shane Bieber's case, you know, he he's a guy who was kind of pointed to as someone who could take a significant step forward based on what he showed last year. In his first start of the year, it was pretty strong. Two hits, two runs. Uh, he gave up that home run to Freddie Galvis, but you know, except for kind of that one pitch that he was hurt on, it was it was a strong outing. So this rotation has really off to the kind of start that they needed to kind of weather this early, um, I guess, storm uh, with a, a an offense that's been near the bottom of the league, but they've been able to survive it. And Bauer and Clemager especially have looked really strong. Uh, Clev joked about what keeps him going, and it's that it's trying to be better than Bauer. You know, they've kind of been pushing each other. Um, you know, this, this is what they're going to have to rely on. And so far, they've gotten what they've needed to get from those two guys. Hmm. They really have. And look, last week, the, I put the headline on the podcast of don't overreact to, to any type of start for the Indians. But I, I don't feel like I'm overreacting when I say this. So let me know if I am. The way these starting pitchers are throwing, this just feels normal. Like, it, maybe they won't be able to sustain quite this level, obviously, throughout the season, but this just feels normal. Like, maybe I'm taking it for granted just how good they are, but, you know, when any of these guys, they go out there, this kind of feels like the expectation because it's so normal feeling. Am I overreacting to nine games with that? Not really. I mean, it's all potential at this point. I mean, when we talked about last week about not trying to not overreact to a couple of games, it isn't to say that everything is fine. It's just to say, uh, you know, a bigger sample size is needed. Um, in terms of the rotation and the strikeouts that they've been racking up every night, mm-hmm. You know, it's been a league-wide trend across baseball that the three true outcomes are finding a bigger percentage of the overall outcomes, and strikeouts have become much more prevalent. Uh, The strikeout totals are rising across the league. But in the Indians' case, what they're doing is still fairly abnormal, and it's also on a a nightly basis. So, yeah, it's probably easy to get used to the starting pitcher going six innings and striking out eight or nine or ten or eleven. Um, you know, it's just it, it's a, a product of what the Indians have been able to build with this with this rotation, and that they basically stole Mike Clevenger from the Angels. They were patient enough with Kluber and Carrasco and really Bauer as well to allow them to develop into what they've become. Uh, you know, Shane Bieber has has been guided along and and looks pretty strong. And then you know they've still got Tristan McKenzie, their top prospect in the minors, who's still developing, has still shown some skills. So. 
um, you know, the, the starting rotation that the Indians have been able to kind of cultivate over, you know, such a long period of time is just something where now they can kind of reap the benefits of that. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the strikeout totals um, on a nightly basis, uh, it, it's not what most teams, you know, can sort of enjoy, but it's something that the Indians kind of need. And, uh, you know, we talked to Clevenger about it uh, yesterday, which was Sunday. And you know, he mentioned it's. It, the, I guess the hope is that it's a little demoralizing for a lineup after a while. You know, at the end of a four-game series, if all four starting pitchers are striking out ten or eleven guys, and the guy ahead of you is Kane on four pitches, and then you're down on three pitches, and you're walking back to the dugout, he was talking about. You know, after a while, that that can be a little demoralizing. And um, it's it's the type of, of pattern that the Indians can follow, and it's it's the type of pattern that the Indians are probably going to have to follow this season. Hmm. It's been fascinating, fascinating so far, just through nine games, how how well this pitching staff has been playing. Uh, Ryan, let's move on, though, um, to, the, to the offense a little bit. I don't, again, same as last week, I don't want to overreact too much, but your, your team is batting, not your team, the Indians, obviously, are batting a combined 182 this season. That, that is being... Kind of held up by Carlos Santana, who's batting 419. But some of these outfielders that the Indians are trying to roll with, you know, Jake Bowers, you know, Tyler Naquin, who had a good game the other day, um, Jordan Luplow. Look, they're all, to me, they're all pretty good defensively, but they're just not really providing much offensively. Again, Naquin did on Sunday, but to me, it's like, at what point, Ryan, do the Indians say, okay, this experiment with some of these outfielders, we we got to we got to move on because we have Carlos Gonzalez and Cameron Mabin, two, you know, longtime veterans down at AAA. Um, are we going to see these guys at some point soon? Because just how how much these outfielders are struggling. Uh, well, everything is sort of trending toward Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, joining the team probably within the next week and a half or so. He has an opt-out of April 20th. Mm. Um, you know, that's it's the interesting thing surrounding Tyler Naquin because he got off to a horrendous start. He went over his first seven with six strikeouts and a pop-up to the catcher, like right in front of the plate. Um, but since that time, he's been he's been hitting pretty well. Um, you know, he's hitting over 400 <laughs> uh, since leaving Minnesota. He had seven hits over this homestand. Six of them went to left field. One went to center field. So he's been able to find a, a comfort zone to where he's sending everything the other way. He's finding success with it. Uh, you know, he's, he's hitting pretty well right now. The issue is, is that he may end up losing the numbers game probably to, or probably more so to factors beyond his control than what he can actually control. In that he's a left-handed right fielder who has an option remaining. And Carlos Gonzalez is someone who, you know, the Indians brought in to help this offense. And he has an opt-out date of April 20th, which is uh, looming right now. And, you know, barring something unforeseen, meaning Gonzalez getting hurt, or him looking just completely lost at, at AAA, uh, you know, Tyler Naquin is, is sitting there, and it's, a, it's already left-handed hitting outfield group. He has an option remaining. It's just a situation 
uh, you can almost term it like a baseball casualty for right now, that he, he may be sent down to AAA, option to AAA, mm. and Carlos Gonzalez comes up. Because Jake Bowers is someone that the Indians have uh, quite a bit invested in now. He's played pretty well defensively, except for one miscue in Minnesota. He's made a couple of nice catches. He uh, uh, doubled off the wall in right field yesterday. He, so he's, you know, he's starting to pick some things up. Uh, Greg Allen, as a switch hitter, uh, should be staying. Jordan Luplo, as our right-handed outfielder, should be staying. And Leotis Martin has center field pretty much nailed down. So that leaves kind of that fifth spot, and that's that's Naquin's spot. He has an option remaining, even though he's been hitting 400 or over the last week. Uh, you know, it, it may just be a situation where he just kind of loses that battle due to things that he can't really control. Um, so Carlos Gonzalez should be joining this team. That's kind of the expectation right now. Uh, the Indians certainly didn't bring him in to, um, you know, just kind of get a good look and say, okay, well, that's fine. Uh, you know, so barring something pretty extreme, uh, you know, Gonzalez should be joining them within the next week, week and a half. Um, and, and for that matter, Jason Kipnis, um, as long as everything kind of goes well and as expected with him, could be joining the team in about a week, week and a half as well. Mm. Uh, that can't come fast enough when you start looking at some of these numbers, but um, we'll see on, on this outfield stuff. I think that's the most interesting thing to follow with the team right now. Uh, Ryan, the last thing here before we get out of here this week, Terry Francona, like I said at the top, the Indians you gave him an extension through 2022, and I got to tell you that you know one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago at the start of the season was, you know, even though the Indians have been really great the last few years, there's kind of this sense of of dread to some degree, and for me at least, that this Francona signing kind of shines a nice light on the whole team. Like it, it, it just seems like as long as they have Francona. They're going to be a team that can figure it out and be good, kind of no matter what the payroll might be. He, he's just that good of a of a coach. Um, what are, What are your thoughts on Terry Francona getting this extension? Was it surprising at all? I know they he kind of talked about how they had it figured out already. They just didn't announce it. But were you surprised he got the extension? Uh, what do you think that means for the franchise? All that stuff. What's your thoughts on the Francona extension? Uh, I don't know if I'd say too surprised, especially because of how the Indians this offseason really talked about uh, how one of their key goals and really their main initiative was to reallocate resources and try to extend this contention window. And I think that maybe, you know, extends Tito being here, although, you know, Tito was asked the question about what happens if the Indians decide to rebuild next year or the year after that or whatever. And he said no matter what comes, he wants to be part of the solution. And he wants to be here. So even if that happens, okay, he wants to try to be part of the solution. And, you know, who knows what happens after that. But it's it's pretty clear that as Antonetti and Chernoff talked about how they want to extend this window and how they want to look look to 2019, but also 2020, 21, 22, et cetera, it's clear that Terry Francona was a part of that picture and a part of that kind of the master plan. And, you know, about as much as a manager can be an asset over the course of a long season, Terry Francona is probably pretty close to the top or at the top. And it goes beyond, you know, just nightly in-game decisions. It goes with, uh, you know, managing personalities, managing workloads, managing guys mm-hmm. over a 162-game season, which isn't 
doesn't really sound easy. Um, you know, he's you know he certainly has the track record. He certainly has the type of trust, which is something that he and Anthony both talked about, the trust that they have in one another, uh, the open communication that the front office and the manager's office has now. You know, so it, it every move, I guess, that has kind of happened over the past four or five months has kind of had the same goal. Uh, the phrase that they like to use is pulling in the same direction. And Tito's extension is just kind of a, another part of that. Um, so, you know, he'll, he'll be here for four more seasons at least, it seems. Uh, and that's, you know, that should kind of encapsulate most or all of this contention window. And so the Indians kind of have this plan laid out. And, uh, you know, Tito's is clearly a part of it. And, uh, you know, they, they clearly show the, the type of trust that they've had in him the last couple of years. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it, look, I, I just think it's a good thing to happen. So I. I don't know. I, I, at some point, I wanted to see Sandy Alomar kind of become the the next manager of the Indians, but we'll see what happens with him long term. Um, I just think the fans love him, but they they love Terry Francona equally as much at this point. So it's a good thing again he's here through 2022 at least. Uh, but that is going to do it here for leading off with Ryan Lewis. Unless Ryan Lewis, you have anything else to talk about here on leading off with Ryan Lewis? Um. No, no, I'm good. Just, uh, just that it kind of speaks to the the stability with this with this franchise that they've had over the last couple of years. Um, you know, Tito's track record is what it is. Uh, I know the Indians have the best record in the American League since he took over, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think they're just trying to kind of extend this this level of stability that isn't probably normal among most franchises, or uh, especially the other two franchises within Cleveland. <laughs> um, so, so you know, in, in, in terms of the fan base, it it, it should be a, a positive sign, and um, you know they they kind of have their plan laid out, and they're they're still trying to you know, figure out the next couple steps. Right. Well, the next immediate steps here for the Indians is a nine-game road trip. They have three at Detroit, three at Kansas City, and three at Seattle before they return to Progressive Field on April nineteenth. But in the meantime, you can find all of our coverage of the Indians over at Ohio.com slash Indians. Make sure you're following Ryan on Twitter. He's at by Ryan Lewis. That's going to do it for today's edition of Leading Off with Ryan Lewis. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.